a useful image to think about our spiritual life is to think ourselves as a living house. Imagine for one moment that you are a living house and God comes the day that he comes into your life to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And probably you, you knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But suddenly, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts, and that does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? And the explanation is simple. He's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He's building a palace where he intends to come and live in himself. And this understanding of spiritual life is perfect to understand today's feast. We celebrate with the whole church the solemnity of Christ the King. And it is a feast that has both a historical and a spiritual meaning. Regarding its historical institution, Christ the King is quite recent. It was instituted by Pope Pius XI in 1925 and was a response from the church to those atheists and totalitarian political regimes those who wanted to deny the rights of God and of the church. So in a spiritual response to those who pretended to impose their power upon the church, the church react with this supernatural answer. Christ is the real king. Every other kingdom will pass away, but as the angel said to Mary, his kingdom will have no end. That was the historical significance of this feast. And the spirit from which this feast was born is attested, for example, by the Mexican Revolution. There's a movie called For Greater Glory that shows what happened to many Mexicans that died shouting at the last moment, long live Christ the King, viva Cristo Rey in Spanish. But if the institution of this feast is recent, its content and its central idea is not. The idea of Christ the King is old as Christianity. Jesus is Lord. Jesus came to this earth to be Lord of all. We were created having God as King. We lost that. And Jesus came to prepare a dwelling place, not to build little cottages, but to build a palace for him, for the Father, and for the Holy Spirit, that they may dwell in us. And that's why today's feast puts us a focal point, not so much what we must do, but what God wants to do in our lives. 
So what does it mean that Christ wants to be the king? What do we celebrate today? An easy way to understand is thinking about another image, is thinking that our souls, our hearts have a throne. And each of us has a throne in our soul. And if Christ is not reigning, is what today's feast suggests, somebody or something else is reigning. But the throne is never vacant. There's always something or someone. Each of us has something or someone who adore, who serve, someone that makes us who we are, something or someone who defines us, someone for whom we wake up, something or someone that demands the best of our energy, and someone who makes us stay late at night. An example is when Jesus, at one point in his public life, he heals a possessed person, and he asks the possessed person, what is your name? And they answer, our name is Legion, because we are many. And that's a spiritual sign that what happens in our soul when Christ is not the king. We have many lords, many voices, many pretenders to the throne. And each pretender of the throne that is not Christ, they expect from us submission. For example, imagine that our Lord, our throne is our reputation, our image. Well, this is a very demanding Lord. We will need to fight constantly to protect that throne, that reign, that kingdom. Or maybe our Lord is our own performance, our work, our GPA. And it will be very demanding, even asking for us sacrifices that only God can ask from us. It may be sport, for example. Your life is ruled by a sport. For example, for me, soccer ruled my life for many years. Today we are starting the World Cup. And I told Jesus, Jesus, you are my king. I renew that awareness that you are the king. But maybe it could be another person someone that has occupied that place that only belongs to Christ. So all these pretenders of the throne, and this is what the feast of today suggests, is sooner or later they will disappoint us. They will, because they were never meant to reign. Nothing but Jesus was meant to reign in our hearts. And that is why they will either fail to rule our lives rightly. So for example, if my reputation is my Lord, that would lead me probably to an imbalanced life because I would do an extra effort to protect that image. Or they will be despotic with us because they will require all of us, but they will not pay back. So this is good news of this feast. Only if Jesus reigns, we are free. That's the paradox of Christianity. And that is why the most critical question tonight is not really if Jesus reigns in every nation. We might not see that until his second coming. But the true question and where it becomes personal is if Christ is the king of my nation, of my heart, is Christ the king really reigning in my life? 
Who is setting the goals in my life? Who is establishing my priorities? Who is taking the final decisions? Is it Christ or someone or something else? So how to let Jesus be the real king? Because today we believe that there is a grace for each one of us. Tonight we, might, we can make a decision. And the gospel suggests us a very simple but profound way. In today's gospel, there are clearly two opposite attitudes, one of accusation and one of admiration. There are three moments where Jesus is accused. First, by the rulers. He saved others, let him save himself, if he is Christ of God, the chosen one. The rulers were accusing Jesus. Secondly, he's accused by the soldiers. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And lastly, one of the thieves, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. They were so close to Christ the king, but so distant. They were moved by pride. They were accusing. Even there was a sign that said the king of the Jews that could have helped them. But they were blind by their pride and by the spirit of accusing Jesus. And on the other hand, there was a good thief. It's beautiful and how consoling to think about Jesus that few minutes before dying, he heard another attitude. The good thief was not accusing, but was admiring Jesus. He said to the other thief, do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What an opposite attitude. Instead of a self-defense mechanism, instead of distrusting of the goodness of that king that was stretching his hands, instead of asking proofs of this kinship before making a step of faith, he said, even instead of asking Jesus to let him bring him down from the cross, he asked Jesus to take him higher. Jesus, remember me. An act of humility from this good thief. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this act of admiration, maybe in 30 seconds, made Jesus his king forever. Truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. What an amazing act of faith. Only a humble heart, even instead of looking to his weakness, even before asking reasons, can recognize that. St. Augustine one of, one of, one of, was one of the first theologians that was impressed by this act of faith of the good thief. And so he imagines himself in a dialogue with the good thief. And he asks, and I quote, Augustine portrays himself asking to a good thief, how did you manage to recognize the divinity of the Messiah at a time when the enemies of Christ were triumphant and even the apostles were incapable of recognizing him? They both have studied scriptures, but they, do not, they couldn't see that scripture was being fulfilled. Were you able to understand scriptures? Augustine asks the good thief. Had you dedicated yourselves 
to study the books that specialists had not been able to read. And he puts into the mouth of the good thief this beautiful response. No, I had not studied the scriptures. I had not meditated on the prophecies. But Jesus looked at me, and in his case, I understood everything. Jesus looked at me, and in his case, I understood everything. Only the contemplation of Christ the King can overcome our pride and mobilize us to do the same. So, as a spiritual exercise, allow me to invite you this as we start this Thanksgiving break to spend half an hour before next Sunday and ask Jesus to reveal who is reigning in your heart. If you can spend time in adoration, go to, if you are traveling back home or if you are staying, come to adoration, seek a chapel and ask this bold question. Jesus, who is the true king in my heart? Who is the Lord? And after that, if you can do this act of admiration of the good thief, Jesus, remember me. Don't excuse yourself. Don't give him reasons why maybe he's not the king. That he may hear from your humble heart, Jesus, remember me. And if we do this, if we start this with this week, at least with the desire that he may be the king, I assure you that he will stop building a little cottage and he will start building an amazing palace.